As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I am Ken Walls and I'm your host and I have a very special guest on today and um, I just met this gentleman so I'm, I'm excited to hear his story and, and chat with him about um, what he does in the world's current events, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So I want to welcome my new friend Dave Nassani. Nassani. Correct. I got it. I got it. Dave, how you doing? Great. Great. You're out there in, um, and you said out in Los the Angeles, city of, the city of Los Angeles. Yes. <laughs> I have a lot of friends out there. So, um, so, you know, I, I told you, I started this show a couple of years ago to, um, just to give back to the world and help people get unstuck. I think we've all been you know, especially right now in those places where we feel lost or stuck and, yep. you know, um, so why, why don't we start with you sharing where you were born and raised? Start there. Well, I wasn't always in LA. I was born in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. Wow. And uh, when I was six years old, my parents told me we're moving to California. Wow. And I really had no choice. So I went with them. I have an older brother, older sister. And my father was also in the gas station business, as I am. I think he had a station in the Bronx. And then he came out here and he had a station ever since. And uh, one by one, the family followed him out and he would put him in the gas station business and God, at one point, I think we had 20 gas stations owned by various different family members, cousins, uncles, brothers, you name it. Wow. And I'm the only one left who still has a gas station after 40 years. They have all either died off or gone out of business or whatever. So Jeez. that's my legacy. Uh, <laughs> wow. And you have how many? Just one? Just one. I've downsized. I had five at one time, but uh, that was just like four headaches and one good one. So I got rid of the headaches <laughs> and kept the good one, you know? Yeah. 
what a lot of people do with their wives, you know. But I've been married <laughs> 45 years. You've been married 45 years? Yeah. Gas wow. station 40, married 45. Oh my 44 God. or 45. I can't remember. I think I, I count the the one year and three months that we weren't married, but we were together because you know we were married. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's a long time to be married. That is a long time to be married. And basically that's that's why I'm famous today. It's because I married a woman who 23 years ago had a stroke in the prime of her life, 52 years old. Um, you know, we were entering into the emptiness phase of life. We had raised three daughters, two from her previous marriage, and one we had together. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're getting, getting excited. We can travel now. And, and they, we got three daughters out of the house. We got them all married, each one twice. And wow. uh, she complains about this headache she had for three days, the headache of her life. It was on a Labor Day weekend. And so, you know, we didn't really want to go to the ER on a holiday like that. Uh, but we were going to go. She was going to go after the Monday was over. But instead, the ambulance had to come, and uh, she suffered a massive stroke and left her severely speech-impaired, paralyzed on one side. And in that moment, our world turned upside down. Nothing would ever be the same again. At 52? 52. And I was a younger man. She married a younger guy. So I was 42. So here, 42 years old, and my wife wow. uh, becomes permanently disabled. Of course, we didn't know it was going to be permanent. I'm an optimist, so we were just uh, believing that this was just going to be a speed bump, you know, and and everything was going to be fine. And but uh, you know, the days turned into weeks, the weeks turned into months, the months turned into years, the years turned into decades. And I'm sure glad nobody told me 40 years ago or 23 years ago, I should say. Uh, wow. Someone saying hello. Who is that? Gabby Bacali from Facebook. Hello, yeah. Gabby. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, uh, uh, I, I guess I'm on a need to know basis. Anyone who's going to tragedy, they don't need to be told, you know, 23 years from now, you're still going to be dealing with this. That would just have made wow. me very depressed. And I might have just uh, done something that I shouldn't have. You know, the, the first two years was called the grief process. I didn't even know what the grief process was. I didn't even know what a caregiver was. Didn't know anything. I was just a dummy when it comes to the, that kind of stuff. Uh, the paramedics said, yeah, she's having a stroke. What should we do with her? And I realized that I uh, gave away the most important decision that I would ever make in my life, where to send my wife when she's having a stroke. And I says, I don't know. Where would you send your wife if she was having a stroke? Wow. Because there were two hospitals. Uh, we were living in Burbank at the time. Um, one, the closest one was this small rinky dink private hospital that didn't have a lot of correct equipment. And the other one was this huge medical center, maybe about 10 minutes further away. If she had chosen, if they had chosen the larger medical center, my wife would probably be normal today. But instead, they chose the closest hospital, which I guess is some kind of policy. But see, with a stroke, you have a three-hour window. So we had plenty of time to, to kill 10 more minutes to go to the other place. But, you know, you can't cry over spilled milk. And yeah. I am strong in my faith. And I believe everything happens for a reason. And this stroke has certainly caused us to be um, different, stronger, uh, more resilient people. 
And, you know, I wouldn't change anything for a million dollars, but, you know, I wouldn't want to repeat anything for a billion dollars. Yeah. One is enough. Wow. Man, that's a lot. So, so and I still have a smile on my face and joy. And so does my wife. She makes all of us look like whiners and complainers because she still can't talk after 23 years, but she oh can communicate non-verbally, which they say most communication is non-verbal. Uh, wow. So she uses charades and Pictionary to communicate, two games that I really hate, by the way, but I'm learning <laughs> to love. And she still can't walk, but we got her this power chair, and she goes faster than me. You know, I'm, I'm getting a little slow with arthritis in my feet, and, wow. and uh, sometimes I've got to, at the supermarket, just get in one of those wheelchair things just to keep up with her. She uh, she's like a cross between Martha Stewart and Wonder Woman, like a one arm wallpaper hanger. She's a gourmet cook. She's an interior decorator. She uh, is a seamstress. She's an arts and crafts people. She makes these ceramic dolls. I mean, my gosh, talk about an overachiever. And she wow. does it all with one arm and one leg tied behind her back and duct tape over her mouth, basically, because she can't talk. Wow. So so <clears throat> we fast forwarded through your um your upbringing and i'd like to back up because let me tell you i have a lot of um <clears throat> entrepreneurs that that watch the show and listen to the show on podcasts um you know you grew up in a being raised by entrepreneurs yes that's true um i must have it in my blood they say <clears throat> entrepreneurs are born they are not taught because some people just like the safety of a paycheck yes. and they can't sleep at night wondering, Oh my God, what, am I going to make payroll? How am I going to pay my taxes? This and that, you know, but entrepreneurs are a different kind of breed of animal. We just we are. know that there are rough times. Some, many times I could not make my payroll. Many times my employees were making more money than I was Yeah, and uh, faced bankruptcy a couple of times, but was able to slip out of it and didn't, didn't happen. You know, yeah. able to settle the debts, pennies on the dollar, especially in 2008. That was a bad one. Yeah. But here yeah. I am, stronger, yeah. debt-free, and, uh, you know, like I said, wouldn't want to repeat it for a billion dollars. But that was my own kind of financial stroke. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, entrepreneurs, you should try it, you know. And if you can sleep at night and do it, then maybe uh, you're yeah. a born entrepreneur. So what I mean growing up did you watch your um it sounds like your dad was the the guy that that was the entrepreneur I don't know how involved your your mother was but um well did, did you watch them struggle with with the stuff you just talked about No I don't remember struggling ever I mean he was a great provider I'm the new improved version of him because he was an a workaholic I mean, the guy worked seven days a week and, uh, you know, he knew how to put food on the table and stuff, Yeah. He, but he didn't, well, let me put it this way. When we moved out to California, I was six years old. I remember when I was eight, he took me to, um, uh, the zoo. And then the next thing I remember that he ever did with me, I was 12. We went on a, uh, uh, deep sea fishing trip. And the next thing I remember, I, I don't remember anything else. So we yeah. didn't do very much. He wasn't a great father as far as, you know, being nurturing and teaching me how to, uh, you know, 
be cool with my clothes and my hair in, in uh, school. I had to figure that out by myself, and I didn't do a very good job. And he didn't uh, throw the ball with me so that I could be good in sports. Uh, you know, so school yeah. was hard. You know, I wasn't um, – I didn't have a lot of gifts uh, athletically or, um, you know, I wasn't one of the cool kids. But he was a very good provider, and uh, as I became a teenager – uh, I worked at the gas station since I was 12, it seems like. Uh, he's a mechanic also, taught me how to be a mechanic. So I, I have a trade. If I wow. you know, ever need a trade, I can always fall back and do brake jobs and stuff. But cars have changed so much. You know, There's like computers under the hood, and yeah. I don't think I can fix the computers or anything like that. But I, I used to go to school with dirt in my fingernails and, and my, uh, my fingerprints, and they used to call me a grease monkey. And, yeah. But uh, I, I, I appreciate him. He was very good to us when I married my wife. You know, he helped us get our first house. So he was a very generous man. Wow. And he was an alcoholic also. So he died when he was 63. Loved wow. to drink that scotch. And he wasn't exactly the most faithful to my mother. So, I mean, wow. like I said, I'm the new improved version. I don't drink. <laughs> I don't smoke. I'm not a workaholic. I know how to have fun. And I've never cheated on my wife. So Wow. But that, I, I love him and he was a great dad. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So so you um you you went to school, I guess, out in, in LA. Catholic school, twelve Catholic. years. Wow. In fact, okay. thirteen years if you count the the, the the they left me back in first grade because they said I was right in the middle of, you know, I was too old but not too young. And uh so I really did thirteen years. Wow. Maybe that was my kindergarten. I don't know. Did you go to college? Yes. I I went to uh, a junior college the first two years, and then I went to USC and majored in business administration. The wow. only child who went to college and has, has a degree. Wow. And um, the whole family, uh, I think my father was going through a divorce by the time I was in my second year. So he was having trouble paying for the college. It was only $100 a unit back then. Right. Now it's like $10,000 a unit. But uh, they even had trouble coming up with the money. I think uh, my father paid for one semester. And my brother paid for another semester. And I think I got some grants and stuff. And yeah. uh, somehow I made it through. Yeah. Uh, and so I started interviewing because I wanted to get out of the gas station business. I was sick of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I met a girl, I, a girl, she was a woman, a <laughs> W-O-M-A-N. Yeah. And um, I was planning this sailing trip, uh, and I used to go sailing with her husband because she was 10 years older than me. Mm -hmm. And one time he brought her on a sailing trip. Can I bring my wife? I said, yeah, because uh, it's hard to find people to go sailing in the middle of the week because I was right. – I was, uh, you know, in college and everyone else has real jobs, but this guy seemed to be an entrepreneur. He had a, a, a junk sale or a garage sale or an estate sale at his house every week, you know, and he would always buy out estates. And so he had a very flexible schedule. And so afterwards, uh, it, it was a couple of years since I've seen him and I didn't realize uh, when I was putting together another sailing trip that this woman was the best friend of the wife of one of my father's employees. Cause a lot of my 
sailing partners were employees of the gas station. Right. And I was putting together a sailing ship, and and she was overhearing all of this. And, and all of a sudden, I hear, I want to go sailing, too. And I look up, and I, I looked at her. She looked familiar, and I says, do I know you? She goes, yes, I'm Charlene. Uh, and I'm still thinking. She goes, John's uh, uh, wife. And then she says, ex-wife. I says, oh, I'm sorry. She says, don't be. He was a real jerk. And we've been <laughs> divorced for two years. I says, oh, that's probably why I haven't seen you or him. Yeah. And she says, so can I go? And I says, well, you went with us once before, right? And I said, she says, yeah. I says, did you get sick? She goes, no. I says, okay, you can come. Wow. And the next thing I get a phone call from this older woman. I'm like 20, you know? I mean, yeah. we didn't even trust people over 30. And here this, <laughs> this older woman, I didn't look at her romantically or anything. I didn't, I didn't even look at her that way. Right. I didn't even know right. if she was attractive because uh, she was 30. She's old. Old. Really so old. She calls me up and she says, I just wanted to thank you for inviting me to go sailing. And I says, okay, yes. She goes, you know, I'm a gourmet cook, which I didn't know what that meant. Uh, <laughs> she says, I'd like to cook you a meal. And I'm thinking, I'm kind of like Raymond and everyone loves Raymond, you know, with his first <laughs> date with, with Deborah, uh, you know, the futon yeah. salesman and things are just going over my head. And I said, I'm saying to myself, why? I'm a starving student, so I, okay, I'll go yeah. to a free meal. Right. And uh, like I said, I didn't know what gourmet meant because I'm Middle Eastern, and all we ever ate was Syrian food right. and burnt meat because that's how my father liked his meat. Well done. And so I, I had a very undeveloped palate. Right. So I show up to this house of this older woman, and I ring the doorbell, and uh, she opens the door, and all of a sudden, I'm I'm hit with these uh, three different smells that just were I had never smelled them before. Well, one of them I smelled before. The first one was this the perfume of this woman. Uh, right. I didn't know who it was at the time it was Giorgio, and it smelled pretty dang good. And the second smell <laughs> that was actually going to be my guess. The first smell <laughs> was was the perfume. <laughs> the second smell was a very familiar smell to me. It was incense burning in the background because uh, you know it was the seventies. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, and the third smell was some amazing aroma coming from the kitchen that uh, I had never smelled anything even close to that before. Wow! And then I noticed in the background it was dark and. and it, candles were flickering and then i hear uh coming from a speaker unforgettable <laughs> that's what you are and then all of a sudden everything just froze you know you see on tv yeah everybody freezes except the person and that was me and i'm thinking oh crap i'm on a date and i oh said oh crap do i want to be on a date with this older woman so i immediately right. This is all happening in a flash of a second, and, and it's just yeah. you know going on in my mind slowly. I says, I better check her out. So I checked her out, top to bottom. And you know what? She looked pretty good for the first time. Yeah. And she was wearing this muumuu thing, and and so I and then I said to myself, I can do this. And then reality came back, and she uh, says, Oh, you're gonna love this evening. It's an eight course meal. And the theme oh. is everything is stuffed. We had stuffed dessert, stuffed caviar with mushrooms, stuffed oh. uh, Cornish, Cornish game hens, stuffed dessert. And I don't know what else was stuffed, but by the end of the evening, I was stuffed. Wow. Needless to say, uh, the date went very well. And I looked at her differently. And so we went on our sailing trip. Wow. And she was my girlfriend now, right? On our first date. Yeah. 
And uh, it's a 48-hour trip. I'm the captain, and we leave from uh, Marina del Rey. We leave at midnight, and we we sail all night in the darkness. And by the time the sun comes up, there's Catalina Island. And when we got there, we all had fun. We got off the boat and farted around on the island, came back and had a wonderful night's sleep. And during the night, I remember it was very windy. Uh, one of those Santa Ana winds in LA, which just blows from the desert, hot wind, and it blows all the fog and the haze away. And I remember looking up in the uh, hatch in the boat and just seeing billions and billions of stars and shooting stars. And, and uh, so all that night we were rocked to sleep with the wind and hearing the halyards clang against by the time we woke up, I hear this flag fluttering. Small craft advisories, 30-mile-an-hour winds, 10-foot oh, swells. And we're supposed to sail back that day. And, and I had never sailed in bad weather like that. And, and I was trying to tell my crew of misfits of gas station uh, employees, <laughs> kind of like the car wash crew, right. uh, that you know maybe we should wait another day before we go back. No, no, your dad's going to fire us. Your brother will fire us. We can't do that. Uh, so I had a mutiny on my hands. So I said, well, let me go ashore and find some salty captain who can give me some advice uh, how to get back safely. And I find this guy with a beard, white beard down to here. He looked like Popeye. You know, he had a hat on that said sailor. Wow. And um, I says, hey, how you doing? He says, yeah. I says, would you go out on a day like this? He says, not if I didn't have to. <laughs> I says, well, uh, we kind of have to. What advice can you give us? So he gave us some advice, you know, like uh, hit the waves at a 45-degree angle so that when you hit the top of the wave, the, the boat doesn't just fall 10 feet and crack the hull. And he says, oh, crap. Oh, my said, God. Okay. So yeah, lower your sails so you're not blown over and motor all the way. And so he gave us some good advice. And as yeah. I'm leaving, he says, oh, by the way, have you got foul weather gear? And I said, you mean raincoats? He says, yeah. He says, no. He says, too bad. It's going to be a wet trip. Well, it was. It was a very wet trip. And mm. our first hour was uh incredibly fun like uh, the old spice guy you know it was exciting invigorating <laughs> every wave was splashing this this mist uh and my big navy pea coat after an hour weighed about 100 pounds oh my and after God. a while the wind started cutting through us and i turned around to look at the crew they're all getting sick one by one they're turning green going down below to barf uh, and I look at my girlfriend. Did I tell you this was our first date? Oh, <laughs> uh, my God. And she's green and she's barfing. I says, oh, man, she's never going to want to go out with me again. <laughs> yeah. And so and then one guy starts freaking out. We're going to die. We're never going to see land again. I uh, said, shut up. I've been through storms worse than this. We're going to see land. Just keep your mouth shut and do your job. Right. Well, the next eight hours was very quiet. And then uh, finally... What seemed like an eternity, someone screams, Land ho! And I look up and I can see the breakwater of Marina del Rey, and, and everyone starts celebrating, hey, high fiving. I knew we'd get back. And say, No, you didn't. And then my girlfriend says, I knew you'd get us back. Well, oh needless God. to say, she went out with me again and again and again. Wow. And a year and three months later, we got married. Wow. And this is the woman who had the stroke, and this is the amazing woman who, uh, you know, is just uh my hero wow hopefully that's enough background for you that's incredible <laughs> man so you um so were your were your parents immigrants here then 
No, they were uh, second generation. My okay. grandparents were immigrants in 1911 or 1915. I can't remember which year. Um, they were fleeing the Armenian genocide because they weren't Armenian, but they looked Armenian. Yeah. And the Turks were killing everybody. I mean, so. Uh, wow. Kind of like they are today, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But, but they um, they came over. And uh, in exchange for fighting in World War One, they were granted citizenship, which is a great system, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, earn your citizenship. Yeah. Don't just sneak over the border. And you get to live here if you don't die. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so he one by one, he brought his brothers and stuff, and and we're proud to be Americans. And they, they, they learned English. They had thick accents, and then. Yeah. Um, my parents and I, I, this is both sides. So I'm hundred percent Middle Eastern. I don't need to take a test with uh, uh, yeah. genealogy.com. I know where I'm from Aleppo where ISIS destroyed the second oldest city in the world. Wow. And we, uh, my parents had no accents. They were totally Americanized. Yeah. And so I'm third generation. Uh, you know, I grew up uh, eating the food and listening to the Syrian music and, yeah and having the parties and and so by the time third generation comes around we don't want any part of that you know we're sick of it yeah. and uh i have korean partners in the gas station and and they are first generation their kids are second generation yeah. it's almost like the same thing you know they have no accents and they're kind of americanized yeah. and i and i keep telling uh, my partners is by the time they have children they will want nothing to do with uh, speaking Korean or hearing Korean music and everything. I'm just warning you. <laughs> right. So, so you, um, you, you, so you made it safely back on your unbelievable sailing trip. My yeah, wife, my wife's um, family, my, her father always had a sailboat. Ah, we, I love we have we have Lake Erie here in Ohio, which is a yeah. giant body of water. I went on St. Joe, Michigan. Uh, we had okay. a I was yeah. involved in prepaid legal, and the 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 guy had a beautiful house on St. Joseph, and yeah. I went there quite a bit. Yeah, that that lake can get pretty ferocious. Yeah, for being a lake, I mean, kind yeah. of like the ocean. I mean, it's a, it's a giant body of water and that's, you know, so she's always, her brother has a sailboat and, and so, you know, I know nothing about it except for if I was in charge, we would all die. So <laughs> it doesn't even have to be choppy and we would all die. So, so you, um, you got married and did you guys end up having children? Yeah, she had two children, a five-year-old, 10-year-old. Everybody's saying, are you crazy? You're going, I mean, I'm in my third year at USC, so I'm like 20, 21. Yeah. And they're saying, you're dating this this older woman who has these kids and a crazy ex-husband. Uh, he had beaten her up one time. Uh, oh, my God. Came high, and I guess he wanted to leave, and she didn't want to leave. She's like... You know, no, stand by your man, you know. Yeah. And so he, he gave her two black eyes and a broken nose. And so she got the hint. Okay, I'm leaving. You'll never do this again. And then wow. he felt remorse. He wanted her back, started stalking her. She tried going out with guys and he would like slash their tires and stuff. This is the guy I used to go sailing with, you know. Uh. And, and so uh, she invites me over to dinner. You know, uh, something happens, and then we go sailing. And now we're we're seeing each other. Yeah. And uh, I I was like, fools rush in. We're angels dare to tread. I'm I'm starting to say, you know, should I be doing this? <laughs> Everyone said you're crazy. My parents says, are you crazy? 
uh, you're, you're still in college and, and things got serious. We never. She's old. <laughs> yeah, she's old. And uh, but once they met her, they they loved her. Sure. But still, you know, they were concerned about me because uh, they didn't wanted me to finish school and was afraid that I wouldn't. And and, uh, you know, we're, uh, so in my last year of college, we got married, by the way, and uh, he never bothered me. He never came by. He would just leave gifts for the kids on the doorstep uh, on birthdays and Christmas and just drive away. He wasn't a very good father to them. Yeah. But uh, I, uh, he died about uh, five years ago, and he left a message to one of his daughters. It says, tell David that I'm appreciative uh, that he took care of uh, my wife. He calls him his wife. And that, uh, you know, I'm so glad that I allowed him to marry her. <laughs> wow. He yeah. died with issues. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like some so, but uh, again, I am grateful that he didn't uh, bother me the way he did the other guys, you know, and, um, and it, uh, we never had a fight. We never argued about anything. And, you know, after a year and three months, we knew we either had to get married or break up because we had both kind of become Christians at that time. Uh, my, my mother had become a Christian and she was, uh, inviting me to her new church because we're Catholics, right? But now she's involved in some evangelical thing. And I said, just leave me alone. I have God in my heart. I'm okay, you know. But well, she saw that it was hopeless getting me to go to church. So she started working on my girlfriend. And my girlfriend came up one day and she says, you know, your mother asked me to go to church. And I said, I would. I said, no, now I have to go. Why did you do that? So we went and, uh, you know, it was a Monday night prayer meeting and it was very interesting. People were standing up. It was like a testimony. Was, yeah, I was uh, divorced and my wife was a witch and uh, we both met Jesus and now we're back together again. It's a miracle. And this other one will say, you know, I had cancer. Uh, uh, you know, now look at the x-rays. The cancer's gone. And, yeah. And I'm, you know, it was very interesting. And I, I was, you know, I'm an intellectual college student. So I thought it was uh, so I went back and again and again and again. And at some point, I guess I accepted Jesus in my heart and so did she. And so we knew we either had to get married or, or break up because, you know, we didn't want to live in sin. We wanted to be holy. Right. And so I made a deal with God because I never wanted to get married. I was a confirmed bachelor, you know, and I never want to have children because, you know, this world was just too evil back in 1975 right. to raise kids in. <laughs> Let's not even yeah. talk about today. Yeah, right. Uh, so I, I made a deal with God. I says, listen, I says, everyone I know is divorced. That's why I'm against marriage. My brother, my father, my sister, my uncle, my aunts, my cousins, they're all divorced. I'm not getting married. But if you want me to get married and you can promise that I will never get a divorce, I will serve you till the day I die. And I've tried to uphold my end of the bargain, and he certainly has upheld his. Because even, you know, with a stroke, uh, not many people make it. Uh, we went to support groups, and a lot of uh, these stroke victims, uh, their their spouses left them. They says, you yeah. know what? I'm sorry. I didn't sign up for this. I have a life. Uh, I, I think even Newt Gingrich, uh, when his wife, when his first wife uh, came down with cancer, you know, he served a divorce papers while she was still in the hospital. So uh, here I am, and um, uh, God has been faithful, and we are as much in love as we ever have been. And we both have smiles on our face, joy in our heart. 
And it's not like uh, she's disabled. I mean, it's just the new normal. People look at me and they feel sorry. Oh, that poor guy, his wife, you know. <laughs> don't feel sorry for me. We have a normal relationship. We joke around. We, right. we travel all over the world, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's okay. That's incredible, man. That is absolutely incredible. I have a, um, a friend that I told her I was interviewing you. She's a nurse practitioner in Michigan, and she owns a bunch of um, care facilities. And she, uh, she actually works with a lot of the same type of people you do in the, um, you know, caring for the caregivers. Yeah. And, and you know, so she she literally sent me a, a message right when we were starting this of a picture. She looks tired. She said, I'm in the <laughs> middle of, of COVID hell right now. So, yeah. um, you know, she's dealing with that. But she said she'll come back and watch the replay. But, you, you know, and that's something that I think a lot of people don't really put a lot of thought into what what you do for i mean for your wife you you said yeah. in sickness and in health and you weren't joking <laughs> like, <laughs> you know i can't take any credit for it because i'm just a normal guy and i could have ended up like those other guys who left my wife um we had a two-year grieving period and it wasn't pretty i mean and i almost did leave her yeah. because she became angry and bitter for the, for the next two years after her mm -hmm. stroke and um, I, I just didn't think I could take it anymore. And so I sat down. I wrote her a letter. I said, Charlene, why are you so mean to me? I said, it's so hard being your husband, taking care of you 24-7, not feeling any crumbs of appreciation in return. I, I said, I know it's hard on you, but you're making it even harder on me to be your caregiver. I said, I, I just don't think I can be with you anymore. And I'll take care of you financially. I just can't be with you. You know, and I looked at that letter, and I read it over and over again. And, uh, and I, I just couldn't give it to her. I said, how can I? How can I give this to the mother of my children, to my soulmate, you know, to the woman I've been married to for 23 years at that time? Wow. I put it in my filing cabinet and I just went on in my, my loneliness and my depression. And, and then one day, you know, I find like a business card in my pocket. I don't know how it got there, who gave it to me, but I was living at the hospital with her for about six weeks. Maybe somebody gave it to me there. And it was inviting me to a caregiver support group. I didn't even know what a caregiver was, but I figured it was somebody gave this to me. Maybe I should go. So I went and everything changed for me. I met people there just like me, burned out caregivers. Wow. I learned that if I didn't take care of me, I couldn't take care of Charlene. And that I was reminded that the airlines tell us every single time in the event yeah. of an emergency, put your oxygen mask on first before you help your level of loved one with their mask. Yeah. Wow. An amazing metaphor for all of life. Take care of you first. Yeah. So, uh, I slowly started taking, putting my needs first, being a little selfish, you know? And if I needed to get away, I would bring in uh, her mother to watch her and I would head off to New York and spend the weekend with uh, some cousins that I hadn't seen in decades. And then I'd yeah. come back rejuvenated and, and, uh, Maybe uh, the next week I would go, the weekend I would go to Nashville to my other cousins and uh, come back rejuvenated. And the next weekend I would go to Florida with more cousins. And, could, and so I was learning. Hi, Sherry. I was learning how to put my needs first. And I, it felt a little guilty and a little selfish at first, but yeah. was, these guys say I should do it, so I'm just going to do it. I just blindly followed them. <laughs> yeah. And um, I... 
I guess she realized that uh, I was going to take care of me and that she couldn't bring me down and because misery loves company and right. And so uh, I like to believe that what I was doing was contagious. And so she realized, well, maybe I should get my act together too. Cause she was, you know, we decorate the house or she decorates the house. She's a Christmas nut uh, every Christmas, like, (laughs) you know, like uh, Chevy chase, you know, that's my wife. And one Christmas, it was dark, nothing. <laughs> and so my my daughter and I says, well, let's at least, you know, put something up. And we made a feeble attempt. I mean, yeah. you, know, you could tell that it wasn't Charlene who did it. But all of a sudden, she started uh, looking around at the house. We had moved because we had a beautiful house in Burbank. And um, she, you know, she wanted to to die there, uh, you know, just bury me in the background yard. This was before yeah. her stroke, you know, that this was the house. I'm never moving again. Right. And it was two story. It wasn't good for us. And and it was 19, uh, for 19 years. I was commuting back and forth to the gas station in Castaic, uh, 30 miles. And either the gas station was suffering or she was suffering. And so I says, we're moving. She goes, no, no, kicking and screaming. I had to take her. And, and I says, listen, I'm moving with or without you. So <laughs> you can come or I'll get you an apartment near your children. Right. You say you want to be near who never visit you. Uh, they visit sometimes. Yeah. And so that's, um, we moved. And so the house was like new. It was white and no window dressing, no decorating, no nothing. And she's an interior decorating. Yeah. Hey, Greg. And so she came back slowly but surely and uh, started becoming her old self again. Our love was rekindled, and and I'm I'm glad I didn't give up. I'm glad I didn't leave, uh, because now look at us, you know. Yeah. So uh, I I can't take all the credit. God, sh- you know, was very uh, merciful and showed us a lot of grace, and I, I give credit to him because I'm just I'm just a dummy, you know. Dude, that is that's incredible. Sorry, do you mind me calling you, dude? I'm known okay. for that. So if I was sitting here talking to Trump. My grandchild calls me dude, so I guess it's okay if you do. <laughs> <laughs> I have seven of them, by the way. Wow. How, the geez. oldest is 30-something, 30 32, and the youngest is 16. Oh, my gosh. My oldest daughter, which you know is the one that I inherited, is uh 57 and then 52 and then 42. Wow. Three daughters. The gardener's here so hopefully you can uh uh over not overhear the uh the lawnmower. I do not hear that. Good, so, good. Yeah. I have a good microphone. <laughs> yes, you do. So so you um do you so do you guys go to church then? Yeah, we go to church every single Sunday and we love it and we enjoy it. Uh, I'm the cameraman at the church, so thanks to me and a couple other cameramen, we broadcast a service all over the world, and it's an online campus, and it's uh, we have uh, two or three satellite churches now. It's growing amazingly. It started in a school, in a wow. school auditorium with like eight people, and now it's got over 5,000 people. It's a wonderful church, and I love it. It's called Higher Vision, and it's Pastor Jared Ming, M-I-N-G, that's and awesome. you can you can hear our wonderful service online at higherVision.church. There's a shame for him. Love that. That's awesome. So so you um 
you give all the the credit and the glory to God. That's amazing. I have to, because you know, I know I'm just a feeble uh, guy who's just as weak as the next guy, you know. And so I don't judge people, you know. I just my advice to everybody. I have a new book that's coming out. It's called Dave's Hammock Wisdom. Uh, uh, I've changed the subtitle so many times. I'm trying to remember which one. <laughs> uh, what is the subtitle? Dave's Hammock Wisdom. Uh, well, I'll think of it later. My my wife is watching, by the way. Yes. That's is awesome. that Jill. That's right. Uh, that is correct. Higherevision.church. You'll love it. That's awesome. So, and, and then on my other book, it's My Life to uh, Thrive. Yeah, and stay alive as a caregiver. It's about uh, it's for caregivers who know they need to put their needs first, but they just don't know how. Uh, and and I like to say, if you're not a caregiver, just wait. <laughs> you're either going to become one, or you're going to need one. There's no escaping it. Everyone is going to have to learn how to be a caregiver, and now's the time to do it. Because if you don't do it now, tragedy will strike, and it'll be too late. Don't be like me. Wow. I had to learn the hard way. So, see, I'm I'm trying to teach you. So, you know, I have a, a, a syndicated radio show. I have appeared on 32 TV shows all across the country. I've spoken at Harvard with Suzanne Summers. I'm a wow. best-selling author. And uh, I'm just sharing my message to caregivers, how to prevent your loved one's illness. And now the coronavirus from killing both of you. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, there's things that you can do to yeah. help um, uh, since coronavirus has come, come out, uh, caregivers had enough on their plate with stress. 30% of them die because of the stress. Right Now, uh, if caregivers have a, a compromised immune system, and according to AARP, 41% are burned out and have a compromised immune system, yeah. that means that you are at more risk of coronavirus and infecting your loved one. So I've got like five tips to give caregivers to help them to... Uh, be uh, free. So I've got these little props too. Um, the first one is caregivers don't know when to stay at home and take care of their loved one or go to the ER because something happened. I mean, here's a, here's a clue. If your loved one falls down and breaks a bone, take them to the ER, get an x-ray wow. because the risk of getting infected at the ER of coronavirus, which a lot of people are afraid of, right. is, is much less than the risk of getting infected from a broken bone. Right. So, right. And then tip number two is just follow the CDC rules. I mean, uh, they say, you know, distancing six feet, right? So I got a ruler here. And just think about where that person who you might be too close to where they've been and who they've touched. Right. I, mean, I remember in the olden days, they says, whenever you sleep with someone, you have just slept with everyone that they have ever slept with. In your life. <laughs> right. oh, God, What a scary thought, but that's kind of where we're living right now. Yeah. The third tip that I have. You don't even have to sleep with them anymore. Just be in their presence. <laughs> close the, to third, them. the third tip I have is, and this happened to an employee of mine. He had a fever and they wouldn't, um, they wouldn't test him for the thing. They said, I'm sorry, we're just testing older people. Right. If you are ever denied uh, to be helped by a healthcare um, professional, you know, ask to speak to their supervisor because you need to get find out what policy that they are adhering to. So demand to speak their, to, their, uh, to their advisor. 
right. told that kid, I says, you should have says, hey, I have a fever and I want to test. I want it now, you know, because the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Right. And the fourth uh, tip that I have is a lot of people have are long distance caregivers to their elderly mother who lives home. Maybe she shouldn't be living home, but, you know, you don't know what to do. Yeah. And you're tempted to go there. You know, maybe they're 20, uh, 20 or 200 miles away and, and it, right. you know, you could be there in a few hours. But you're tempted to go there. No, I say follow ET. Phone home. Yes. You know, don't don't. And if you absolutely have to go, then remember the distancing rule. Yeah. So uh, don't hug. No hugs. And then the last tip I'd say, you know, just be balanced. And I have a level here. Like be <laughs> level-headed because if if you're just logical and not emotional and can not have irrational fear, I mean, some of these caregivers' stories I'm hearing. They're making very bad decisions because they're letting the fear get the best of them. Yeah. You know what they're fearing. I mean, there's more uh, more of a chance of them winning the lottery or getting struck by lightning two times than than uh, what they're fearing. You know, right. go to the ER if you need to. They've got everything under control. They're wearing masks. They have procedures. You're not going to catch the coronavirus in an ER. I guarantee you. They have taken precautions. Right. So right. so don't be fearful. Don't be irrational. And so I come up with a care formula to help caregivers not burn out so that they can also, um, you know, keep their immune system strong. And so C, communicate with your friends and don't isolate yourself. A, ask for help and be specific. R, rest. Caregivers need eight hours rest every single night. The average caregiver only gets two or three. I can't survive on two or three hours. Can you? No. <laughs> And E, eat healthy, nutritious food. Don't eat junk food. Junk food's got chemicals, sugar, processed ingredients. All that stuff will kill you. Right. That's why I wrote my book, and that's why I have my membership website, caregiverdave.com. Uh, it's it's an online support. You know, you don't have to go drive in uh, different places to get support. You can get it online now. And I'm offering three free gifts to everyone who goes to caregiverdave.com, yours for the taking, because I want you to thrive and not just survive. Wow. That is awesome. I'm putting it up on the screen right now. Thank you. Caregiverdave.com. So, you know, I think, you know, I, I posted something the other day about um, from Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's one of the, he's a world expert when it comes to immunology and, and, and the stuff. And, and he said that, and I'm paraphrasing, so um, forgive me if I get it wrong but he said that that um it's the stress that releases chemicals into the body that creates more opportunity for not just the the coronavirus but other right. issues right. Right. other viruses i mean we're in the middle of flu season <laughs> like i know not just corona and so, nobody seems to care about the hundreds of thousands of people that are dying every single year you know right why don't we stop that? I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying we shouldn't do what we're doing, but, um, you know, when the medicine, uh, is stronger and more deadly than the thing that you're trying to prevent, yeah. I mean, really, are we going to destroy this economy that, that, uh, might take 10 years to rebuild? If it ever gets rebuilt, companies go away that will never come back again. I mean, I have a gas station, my sales are down 50%. Uh, the restaurant behind me, thank God that they're doing takeout or they, they would be in trouble as well. Uh, and I'm grateful to all the local people who are supporting your local business because they need you. 
Yeah. But what about my my granddaughter who's a hairdresser? They close the salon. She can't I even know. cut hair. You know, she'd have to do it in in our home, and that's illegal. You're not supposed to do that. So yeah. So now they're they're uh, incentivizing people to do things at home that they shouldn't do at home that I, you may even uh, transmit the virus even more. So I, I understand that, but I, you know, also I, I'm a, I'm a survivor personally. And, and, you know, you have to, the, and my, people are going to eat, they're going to need yes. money. They're going to get it any way you want. That's regardless right. of what the government says. Yeah. And they're, they're being real nicey uh, right now, but uh, they're going to get tired of this. Yeah. I'm telling you, I know. And I think that, that, you know, again, it's, it's, I, I see these servers in restaurants that are like, they're screwed. I mean, they're really, really, truly in a position where it's like, they have, what if they're living day to day, a single mom that waits tables to make, and, and she lives day by day on her tips and, and, and now nothing. And, 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 and some people in Congress are saying we need to write checks to every American with the same Ooh. amount of money that they make from their jobs. Where do what? they think this money is coming from? They think this printing press is a magic printing press. I, you know, who voted for these people? It's uh, it's crazy, man. It's they, crazy. I mean, did they take economics in school? I mean, come on, give me a break. Right. You know, right. we, we we excuse Bernie because we know he's a socialist and this is the way they think. Okay, well, you're never going to change his mind. And no. that's, that's the way it works in Venezuela and Cuba and the Soviet right. Union. So, right. you know, we get that. Right. It's America. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's true, man. I'm telling you, people are losing their minds. And, and here's the thing. I believe, I truly believe that it's all going to work out. It's going to work yeah, out. It always does, doesn't it? We, it does. We survived uh, the fall of the Roman Empire and the <laughs> right. plague, and, and you know, right. society has a way of of thinning out the population for whatever reason, you know. And yeah. the healthy survive, and and yeah. the unhealthy don't. You know, you be... the, the trees that have diseases they die, and the healthy ones take over, and that's the circle of life. Well, and you know, look at, look at your own situation. Look at, at, at your wife, you know, she, she had a stroke. People don't. Right. She's 23 years now. Yeah. They say, if you have one stroke, you're 50% more likely to have another one and another 50% to have a third one. And one of those are going to kill you. And it's been 23 years. She's only had one stroke, never happened again. They don't even know why it happened. Uh, just a fluke, you know, maybe a Talk. blood clot coming out of the heart blocked the, the flow of, of blood. She had one seizure during that time. 23 years has never had another one. Wow. And you said she can't, she can't talk. She still cannot talk. She has a vocabulary of about 12 words wow. and she uses those words pretty good, but all the other communication is gestures, facial expressions, touching, tonality no 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 she could say no 500 different ways and you know what each no means you yeah know? wow you said 500 different ways yeah believe wow. me wow so she um so so does she can she walk or uh, no she, she's paralyzed on one side so okay. she, uh so she wow. has her power chair yeah she can okay. transfer thank god so she can bathe herself 
with a little help from from me transferring yeah. her she yeah. can go to the bathroom by herself she can cook yeah. by herself she does the laundry i come home the dishes are done uh, the house is clean i i say where are the l's who helped you you know <laughs> do all of this dinner's on the table she is i mean i can't complain wow. about anything anyone who meets her walks away saying oh my god what am i complaining about right. you know this woman is amazing so there is no excuse. She gives me this look when I complain about them. My feet hurt. She goes, oh, try walking 24 hours in my shoes, buddy. Right. I mean, she can't say that, but she has a look that says that, you know? Yeah. Wow. Man. Right? Kids know that look. I mean, a yeah. dad just has to look at that kid from across the room and they know they're in trouble. You know? <laughs> so. <laughs> That's so true. My daughters know. <laughs> they know. So, so man, you are an, an incredible human being. And I know well, you probably how are you. We all are incredible human beings because, you know, when we were born, how did we get here? We are winners. Yeah. Do you know, when you were born, you won the most important race of your life. Yeah. 300 million people were rushing to that egg and yeah. you won. You made it. That's right. We're all winners. I said I don't that even giving trophies just for participation, you know, uh, that uh, mediocrity, mediocrity is not an option. Excellence is what this country was built upon. You know, only the winners should get the trophies. Dude, you and, must stick out like a sore thumb in L.A. I'm just saying I try not to talk politics, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I just try to be logical and rational and have common sense. And yeah. if that falls on one side of the political spectrum or the other, then so be it. You know, John Kennedy uh, would be, would be like a a conservative today. Ask not what your country can do for you. Really? Right. Ask what you can do for your country. Right. He's a Democrat. Really? <laughs> My, how far have we slid? Oh, it's insane, man. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm but, a John. I'm a John Kennedy Democrat. JFK. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I didn't leave the party. The party left me. Right. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. I ask every guest this. Um, you know, I I did not, I was not raised in a family of entrepreneurs, although it the bug bit me at seven, I think, and and never let go. Really? Um, but I I um so my parents were my mother and stepfather were factory workers and barely, barely, barely getting by. And, and, you know, so I didn't see that growing up. I didn't see it. And as a result, and I didn't go to college and I said in 12th grade, this is ridiculous. Y'all want me to get a biology credit and graduate. I hate biology. I'm out of here. And I left. So, um, but I did go out and make a lot of money. So the, but the point is, 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 you know, I've hit these walls in my life where I was stuck, man. And I did not know how to get through. I really felt like the entire world was going to collapse on me at that moment. And, and I know that there are a lot of people, especially right now that are just stuck. What is your biggest piece of advice to somebody who might be stuck right now? They don't, they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. They don't have two nickels to rub together. They don't know what to do right now. What would you say to that person? That person needs faith, you know, faith and hope. Uh, the Bible says without hope, 
the people perish. Think of the people at Auschwitz, you know, how did they survive? Um, there was a, a movie called Life is Beautiful. I don't know if you remember it. It was uh, uh, subtitles. And um, it talks about having hope. Uh, the child was with them. And they kept telling the child, you know, this is just a game, you know, and, and we have to win. And the winner uh, gets to ride on a tank and this and that. Um, if you have faith, and I'm talking about faith in God. But, you know, faith is powerful, whether it's faith in God or not. I mean, I'm, I have faith in this chair that I'm sitting in that it's not going to collapse. Right. When you have faith, you have confidence that things are going to work out. You know, the Bible says all things work for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. I mean, I don't know how else to to give advice um, except what works in my life. You know, I could not have made it if I did not have my faith in God. I would have given up. I would have been depressed. I might have even committed suicide. Who knows? So faith is very, very important. Uh, believe in yourself. Do what's in your power. Do what's in your control. And let God do what's in his control. It's a partnership. Yeah. And so many times in 2008, man, I thought I was going under. I thought I was going to have to commit uh, a bankruptcy. I, I was always going to lose my gas station. I couldn't make the bills. I was defaulting on half a million dollars in unsecured debt. You know, I was flipping houses and stuff. Real estate went under. The stock market went under. I've never seen this in my life. And um, I almost lost my house. And all of a sudden, I just trusted God. I just woke up in the morning pretending that everything was fine. I wasn't delusional because I was believing the scripture that says, you know what? You serve God. He will take care of you in times of famine. You know, there's a story in the Bible, this, this widow, she had no food. And yet the ravens, or I think it was Elisha the prophet, the ravens brought him food, the birds. And when, when that dried up, uh, you know, God told him to do something else. Right. And another uh, widow, you know, was given uh, oil to sell, olive oil. So God will uh, take care of you. If you need taxes to pay, I mean, he, he says, go fishing. And, and there was money in a fish to pay the taxes. Whatever it is, you just have to have faith. And if you don't have faith in God, then reach out to him. Because he says, if you reach out to him, he'll reach out to you. And that's my advice to any entrepreneur. Because entrepreneurs uh, are godly people. Because they have have been uh, having those sleepless nights knowing where's my next dollar going to come from? How am I going to not lay off all my employees? How am I going to not do bankruptcy or even if the doctor says you know the x-ray says it's cancer you know uh you have to trust because only god has power over cancer yeah and over all that stuff so that's my advice to you that's my dave's hammock wisdom to you <laughs> i love it man when's your new book coming out <laughs> uh the new book it's it's like a pregnancy that's going uh way too long uh, it should have been out by now and uh, April was my latest, um, but you know I want it to be really exceptional, and I don't want it to just be mediocre. Yeah. And so it may go uh, into the summer. Uh, so that's 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 the latest estimate because I I and now with the coronavirus thing and the gas station and all this, you know, it's taking time away from. It, it's already written. It's just being edited and tweaked and and made better and and you know made more relevant and i've been working on this book gosh i went to hawaii for a whole month and and did it wow uh, i transcribed my videos dave's hammock wisdom five minutes a day's hammock wisdom and so i got it on paper but it just it just needs more tweaking 
And yeah. so let's just safely say before the end of summer is over, you will have that book in your hands. That's awesome. And I get a lot of wisdom just on my hammock. And so uh, I say I solve the world's problems, my problems, my friends' problems. And I don't want to be selfish. I want to share that with the world. That's incredible, man. I love it. Yeah, a friend of mine said one time, um, pray as if you cannot work and work as if there is no God. So, you know, I, That's I, interesting. I have to think about that. <laughs> work like there's no God and, and pray like you can't work, you know, and, and, and believe. I think a lot of people have given up the, the belief part, you know. Well, you know what? It's going to come back with this coronavirus. A lot of people living in fear. Yeah. And I think, you know, God allows certain things to happen uh, because he he wants to say there's a one last verse and I'll let you go. Yeah. Second Chronicles 7, 714. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and call my name, then will I hear from heaven and look down upon you and heal your land. And man, does this land need healing. Amen. You know, take the Ten Commandments out of the classroom because we don't want to teach our kids. Yeah. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't lie. Really? <laughs> I know. And maybe that's why, uh, you know, kids are taking guns to school and, and dropping out and and uh, graduating illiterate. You know, let's get back to the basics. You know, remember, um, I forget that famous coach. He says, okay, boys, let's get back to basics. He's holding up a football. This is a football, you know, and that's kind of where you need to go. Right. I, I forget it. which coach said that, but that's awesome. I don't know either. So that makes two of Tommy, us. Yeah. I don't know. Dave, you're an awesome dude. Everybody go to caregiverdave.com. And you said you have some free stuff on there. They can free, free gifts. That's I'm awesome. not going to tell you what they are, but they're awesome. One of them is a book. One of them will help you sleep. And the other one will uh, give you proof whether you're burned out or not. Objective proof. That's awesome. That's awesome. Dude, you're awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you coming you're on. You're awesome. And it was Vince Lombardi. Bob Donnell just said thank it. you. Thank you. I knew somebody said it. This is a football. <laughs> That's awesome. Listen, everybody that um has shared this out, thank you so much. I see Sherry Gideon's just shared it. So thank you to everyone who thank shared it. And um, Dave, thank you. You're an amazing man. Thank you. And I appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on. God bless you all. All right. So hang with me here for a second. I'm going to end the broadcast. Thank you, guys. We'll see you. Um, see you later. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 